You're listening to There's a Better Way, smart talk on healthcare and technology. If you're up for energizing and story-driven conversations with national healthcare leaders driving industry innovation across the country, then you are in the right place. My guest today is both a country music fan and a digital healthcare veteran. The chief executive officer of the Sequoia Project, Marianne Yeager, got her start in health IT in Nashville before making her way to DC, where she's remained on the forefront of the digital transformation of healthcare. Marianne and I will talk about how, not long ago, healthcare was still largely conducted on paper and the incredible strides made since. We'll also talk about ONC's Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, otherwise known as TEFCA, which the Sequoia Project has the responsibility for operationalizing, and why Marianne thinks both incrementalism and inclusivity are key to advancing real-world interoperability nationwide. Hi, Marianne. It's so great to have you on the show today. Oh, well, thank you, Melanie. It's great to be here and to talk with you. Can we just start out with telling us a little bit about yourself and how you started out? Well, you know, I got my start in health IT um, somewhat as an evolution. Early in my career, I actually lived and worked in Nashville, Tennessee and, and worked for a health plan, believe it or not. And I just found myself really a appealed in, you know, working on IT projects. After that, worked for a healthcare clearinghouse, and I just found myself really in the heart of health IT ever since. And so it's just been quite an evolutionary path, And um, but every step in my experience, I feel, has sort of helped me get to where I am today. So health IT in Nashville. Now I know it's a big market now, right? But but what about country music? You didn't go for that instead? <laughs> well, I had a lot of friends and family involved in country music scene. Of course, Nashville is, is very well known for that. And um, that was you know, kind of a really special experience. So, of course, I was there as a young person and working, but having you know, be part of a community of artists was also really fun. Well, so, okay. So you were in a health plan in Nashville. Where did you go from the health plan? You know, so I um, was worked for a health plan. I was working full-time, going to school full-time, getting my master's degree. And then I ended up getting a job for a company called Envoy Corporation. From there, I worked with startups and privacy and security. I had my own consulting firm for 10 years, ran the CCHIT EHR certification program, ended up working on a project at ONC on the Nationwide Health Information Network. And that's that was really what was the catalyst, you know, that got us to moving forward and forming Sequoia and, and really the genesis of our work 10 years ago. All right. So you went to startups, but then you went to ONC. So talk a little bit about that. That must have been, was it right here in DC that you were working? Yes, it was. So um, had uh, moved up to DC, be close to family, was doing consulting independent contract work. And, and then there was an opportunity to work as a contractor at ONC um, and it was supposed to be just a couple month project, really, to help them get started with the Nationwide Health Information Network program. And five years later, I was still there. So um, I was really brought in on the ground floor of that effort. And when it was really, they were trying to figure out, well, how do they move forward with an, a nationwide network or a network of networks that you know was sort of government sponsored and incubated. And so it was a tremendous experience. Wow. So then you spent time on the EHR side with certification right 
right as EHRs are really starting to really take off and meaningful use is going through and all of that to then seeing the separateness, I guess, of EHRs and working with ONC to build it together early, early on. Oh, early on. So when I was working on EHR certification, I mean, really, healthcare was largely not digitized. And so when I was working on the NHIN, you know, I sort of went from EHR certification over to NHIN. Again, at that time, this is circa, you know, 2008, 2009. Again, EHR certification had not really been memorialized as part of, you know, the incentive program it was early stages. So it's kind of funny, you know, thinking back, we were trying to, at that point, you know, really interconnect health systems and government agencies and HIEs and other, you know, network uh, network types. And it was in an era when healthcare was really still operating largely on paper. So it was really, really early on. I think those early learnings were really formative and really trying to really boil down and be very practically oriented about, well, how do you make this work? And what's really different in a digital world compared to paper world? And so a lot of the underpinnings of what we have today in our interoperability ecosystem really stem back from those early days. Oh, definitely. And so you were really paralleling what was happening here at SureScripts at the same time. So as the EHRs are digitizing the clinical record, SureScripts is digitizing the prescription all pretty much at the same time. So we've both been through, yeah. Yeah, very much. So it was very, it was very much parallel track. I think, you know, e-prescribing is so interesting. I've thought about it over the years that it was such a really precise use case and it had, you know, this return on investment and it was very clear. And that was really a catalyst, you know, to getting such tremendous traction. And I found, you know, in trying to automate other types of healthcare transactions where we've been successful is sort of taking a similar approach about how do we get really concrete about what specific use case or sub-use case we want to facilitate. It's when we try to take that broad brush stroke and move an entire market and do all these things in one big fail swoop. It's tough to do that. Incrementalism is really a philosophy that we hold pretty pretty dear here at Sequoia. And, and, you know, certainly in my career, I found that that's worked really well. That's great. You know, we at ShareScripts have come quite far from and do more than e-prescribing now. And that is exactly what we have to do. You have to find the spot where the, where the markets are aligned, you know, and then you can go more quickly. So, so then how did your career evolve to interoperability? I mean, I guess it went straight from straight to ONC where you were working on it. And then what happened? So I was a contractor at ONC again, five years, and was supporting the NHIN or New Hint Exchange, it was called at the time. And it was, you know, sort of predated high tech, and it became this operational network. It was in its nascent stages. There were maybe a dozen or so healthcare organizations and HIEs sharing information with federal agencies in production. And it moved beyond, you know, sort of a proof of concept. It was real records being exchanged to treat patients. And so there was just a recognition that it needed to live outside of ONC and the private sector. And since I was, you know, a longstanding uh, involvement there, you know, there were the um, government, you know, sponsors had changed over time. So I sort of had that, you know, sort of legacy knowledge and experience to really, I worked with the governing body of that network and the participants in the network to say, hey, you know, is there, you know, an opportunity for this to continue? And they individually went back to the respective agencies and in each organization said, wow, there's really value in having a shared network um, that is, you know, at that time it was federated and it was independently governed. And so 
um, really, I uh, we formed Sequoia Project to be a steward of that. I was invited to serve as the CEO 10 years ago, greatest honor ever. We just had a sense that there would be a need for an organization like ours that would really operate as a public-private collaborative, a nonprofit operating with public good to offset the burden of government. It was really, really important for those governmental agencies that this network be supported by an organization really embodied the same principles and transparency of a governmental agency. And so that was really been in our DNA since our very founding. Sure. I want to spend a lot of time just talking about the Sequoia Project. Before we go there, can you just give the really simple definition? Like think about talking to your grandma, your grandpa about what interoperability is. It's about having a way for your health records to follow you wherever you receive care. Care tends to be the most easily understood aspect of it. It's interesting because when I do talk with family and friends and others, you know, I try to explain that and they, they don't understand that that doesn't exist. But when we talk about the pain points, well, remember when you go to the doctor's office and they don't have all the medications that you're on, or maybe they don't have the recent labs that were done. Well, that's because these systems, these computer systems aren't talking to each other as well as they could. And so that really resonates with people and everybody, you know, has stories and you know, they've experienced and, and sort of personalizing it is the best way to explain it. There are a lot of mechanics and nuts and bolts, but simply speaking, when we think about interoperability is making sure information is available when and where it's needed and that there isn't a lot of special effort you have to go to, to, to get what you need. So the Sequoia Project, you've described this to me before. How did you name, and I I think it's a great story, so I'd love it if you could describe here, how did you name the Sequoia Project? So we actually were founded under a different name and realized we needed to, you know, wanted to go through a rebranding. And so we worked with an organization and they came up with the suggestion for the Sequoia Project. And at first I thought, well, that's kind of curious, but then they described and explained that Sequoia trees, you tend to see them reach their greatest heights when they're in a forest together because they have a very shallow root system. So you'll see sequoia trees alone, but the giant sequoias are generally together because they're able to grow to great heights because they have an interconnected root system that can support these great growths. And so that's really what we're about. We're about bringing people together, collaborating, connecting to reach great heights. And so, of course, we love the imagery of the sequoias. It's very aesthetically pleasing as well, but the story behind it really resonated with who we are. You know, one of the quotes that is resonant here at SureScripts is, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We use it a lot. Our leaders use it a lot. And it resonates with the whole concept of the Sequoia, which is just a beautiful way to explain how this work happens because it is collaborative. So let's just talk about that for a minute. Talk about all the different stakeholders that you engage. Who's engaged and what do they do? So our goal is to really try to engage the broadest group of stakeholders possible. So I would say our core stakeholders are healthcare provider organizations, health plans, health information networks, technology companies, and broadening governmental agencies are very, have always been incrementally instrumental in our work. What we're seeing now is that, you know, as we try to you know, make progress in expanding interoperability and supporting, you know, other capabilities that we need to broaden the tent. And so I think where we've seen a lot of progress in our portfolio of work at Sequoia is really advancing the sharing of health records for the purpose of better treating and care coordination of, of people. 
And so, you know, we, I feel like we have a really strong representation of, of stakeholders in that respect. But how do we broaden that to reflect the broadest continuum of care, long-term care, post-acute care, federally uh, qualified health centers? How do we solve that? We need public health stakeholders at the table. Um, how do we, you know, automate some of the other workflows and use cases around payment and healthcare operations when we need other players at the table with us? So we're really looking at that really carefully and, um, again, broadening the community that we're interacting with. I know you mentioned earlier that there have been some successes along the way in the last 10 years. Want to talk about a a few of those? Like, I I know there's been care quality, there's been pulse. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah. So we, um, I think we've been very successful in supporting and incubating initiatives and then sort of launching them to operate under their own governance. And so again, we started with a government program that was became from the NHIM, became the eHealth Exchange, incubated that network. It's governed by itself. It operates on its own. In 2014, we were contacted by stakeholders that wanted to interconnect networks because there was an evolution of vendor networks and expanding, you know, networks beyond, you know, like e-prescribing and scripts, the support exchange of other information. And, you know, there was really a recognition that there was a need for a neutral convener to bring together stakeholders to figure out how to interconnect um, health information networks, not unlike how telecom and banking have done over the years. And so we formed Care Equality to serve that role in 2014. And we're able to get great traction because, again, it was a community of engaged stakeholders that had skin in the game. They wanted to help solve this. It wasn't like as though Sequoia came to the table and we just took charge and figured out how to do everything. No, we, we brought together those who wanted to make this work and who were vested in moving forward with it and facilitated a way to develop a framework to interconnect networks. Sometimes, you know, when folks think about financial services and you think of, you know, other worldwide networks and, you know, financial transactions are, you know, pretty, pretty skinny, you know, but the transaction volumes between networks and carry quality alone eclipses the swift international network. And so times, sometimes we don't necessarily give ourselves enough credit for making such progress in a span of a couple years that it took other sectors decades to do. And so I think we should take, take pride in that for sure. That's just incredible. And of course, SureScripts is a major partner for care quality and we count on care quality to help, to help bring the records across the country. Really important work there. Can you talk about Pulse? Yes. So we um, worked with ONC and the state of California to support a portal that was developed by ONC to make it easier for emergency responders who are providing care outside the care delivery system, say in a shelter, who don't have access to an electronic health record to be able to access their information. This was really a stepping stone because at the time this actually came about, believe it or not, following Hurricane Katrina when so many people were displaced and did not have their medications or access to their records and you know what the human impact was by not having such a simple, simple capability. So with the advent of networks and this network of networks that carry quality facilitated, there was a, an interest in putting technology in the hands of providers in the field. These are oftentimes voluntary emergency responders. And so we got involved when the wildfires broke out in 2017 and 2018 in California. And so they were trying to connect the state of California, the Emergency Medical Services Authority was trying to actually connect this portal to every single health system in California, one by one by one. 
And we said, well, that's crazy. Why don't you connect it to a network? And within 24 hours, it was connected and enabled those people treating, you know, people who are displaced by these devastating fires to access really critical information to treat them. And it just shows the ability to, if you can tap into national infrastructure, existing infrastructure, and use it for other purposes, you shouldn't have to have an emergency network and a treatment network and a payment network and a research network. No, we want one backbone for the country that interconnects networks and systems and that we can overlay on that with capabilities to support it. And that is a great use case. Yeah. And, you know, and the time and what we said at the time was, you know, the time to prepare for an emergency is not in the middle of a catastrophic emergency. It takes pre-planning. So I will say that Pulse has evolved and served a really, really important bridging function. And one thing we heard early on was, wow, wouldn't it be great if there was also a way to capture information from people seeking care and literally auditoriums and tents and things like that. So Pulse is evolving, you know, to to support more robust capabilities. But, you know, we, we were, it really is in the hands of states to deploy, but we were really proud to have our part in how do we connect these capabilities locally into national networks to, to support that. Right. As you talk about the vision of being able to have one shared network where all of the actors can access the right information at the right time, of course, there's security issues, there's HIPAA issues and all of that. And so how do you navigate that? So much of our work is facilitating getting common understanding and agreement of what the rules of the road are. And so much of that dovetails with how do you secure the information? How do you have assurance that that connectivity is going to be used for an appropriate purpose? What assurances do you have in terms of the treatment of the information once it's received in the recipient system? How do you navigate different expectations when, you know, when you're supporting a national level information exchange framework, the parties on one end don't have a direct relationship with others on the other end. And we've seen so much of the U.S. population is transitory. You know, we move and live in different places. And in some places like the D.C. metropolitan area, I mean, we receive care in three different places. So we had to be able to traverse those different geographies The way we do it is we facilitate, you get the business people, the policy people, the privacy and security people together and legal folks, and you come to agreement on that. It's so interesting that we have standards today. We have technical building blocks. What we need to figure out is how do we have that common denominator set of expectations, a code of conduct, so to speak, rules of the road that we can all stand behind, and then also an impetus and a value to actually facilitate and participate in the exchange, which is sometimes also the other missing element. So then let's just go there. Let's just go straight to TEFCA. And can you just start by describing TEFCA for our audience? So TEFCA stands for the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. You know, government love their acronyms. So (laughs) this came about when Congress passed a law called 21st Century Cures in December of 2016. So remember, at that time, care equality was in its nascent stages of information exchange. And so provider organizations and others were really still feeling the pain points of not being able to easily access information they needed. And so Congress wrote into law, hey, ONC, you can either develop or support this framework to interconnect networks. And if it sounds a lot like like care equality, it's because it is a lot like care equality. Care equality is a private sector sponsored framework 
that was organically came about from stakeholders. And they, Congress and ONC policymakers realized, well, if the market doesn't really respond, they wanted the ability to have a government-endorsed framework to interconnect networks. So what we saw, fast forward now a couple years, we were selected as a private sector organization in August of 2019 to work with ONC on this. What we saw was here was the private sector making tremendous progress in enabling exchange of records for treatment purposes and care coordination. But you know what? We could not move the needle in getting folks to actually support the ability for an individual to access their own information, to support public health purposes, for payment and healthcare operations. So it's interesting that you know we have private sector traction on one side of a use case, and then frankly, having a government-endorsed approach could really help move the needle on some of these other capabilities. Take it a little further then. Talk about your role as the recognized coordinating entity. What does that mean? So what the, one of the exciting things about 21st Century Cures and TEFCA is that there was a recognition that sometimes top, sole top-down approaches aren't always embraced in this country. What we found is public-private is really where we've been able to get the most traction because you know there's so much practical reality we have to figure out how to make it work in the real world. ONC was able to work with a private sector organization to help them develop and implement TEFCA. And we were super honored to have been selected in that role. Uh, we had tremendous support when we submitted our application to work with ONC under a grant, a type of grant called a cooperative agreement. We had, I think, 50 some letters of support. And we we're just so shocked in a way, you know, that there was that much support and honored and humbled. And, and so we were selected to, to work with them and have been working with them since August of 2019 on this very issue. And it makes sense, right? Because you've just done that for care equality with the clinical data exchange for use case for care care use cases and now expanding that to other use cases. So you mentioned a few. Can you talk about those other use cases? Yeah. So a lot of the underpinnings and the type of components you would see in a private sector framework and a TEFCA framework are similar. So the types of use cases that TEFCA is prioritizing are treatment, payment, healthcare operations, public health, individual access, and government benefits determination. So it'd be like someone's ability to have records shared for disability benefits determination as an example. So the private sector frameworks support those same purposes. It's just they're, most of them are not used or have not been embraced or they're in their infancy. And so, you know, having the federal government side by side saying, well, here are the policies that we stand behind for a network of networks, you know, framework. And here are the use cases we're prioritizing as a national priority is really where we think we can start seeing some strides in progress with TEFCA that the private sector has had a hard time pushing. Right. Where are we at now in the process? You've been at it for a few years. Where are we at in the process? So we were um, really just getting ramped up in August of 2019. I would say we have been worked, working with ONC to build what I'll call the building blocks for TEFCA. The first of which, um, ONC was really something ONC created, was a trusted exchange framework. These are really the overarching principles, guiding principles, you know, to really embody what they wanted this framework to represent. There, in order to facilitate the exchange of information between networks, you really need to have a legal agreement that all of these networks that want to be TEFCA designated as a TEFCA qualified health information network, that means they meet 
the standard that ONC has set forth and that they have proven that they demonstrate the competencies and will meet the requirements to be TEFCA designated. So they have to sign an agreement, a contractual agreement that contractually obligates them to comply. And then we countersign that as the RC because our role is really not only to work with ONC to develop the components for TEFCA, but we're operating it. We will be the body that will evaluate and determine if networks that want to be TEFCA designated meet that bar. And if they do, we would designate them as such. So the one component is that legal agreement. And that's really what really brings together the policy, expectations, the rules of engagement, expectations for privacy and security, puts forward expectations that you must respond to treatment requests, you must respond to a request for individual access. And then it also points to other artifacts that describe the technical details. So an implementation guide, they call it a QHIN technical framework. It's really what the designated networks themselves have to comply with. And then there are other things that you need to spell out in a little bit more detail, you know, how TEFCO would be operationalized. So we are publishing a set of standard operating procedures that would put forward expectations for QHINs, but also that if you're an organization and you're a healthcare organization, for instance, and you connect to a QHIN, there are expectations that you have to abide by through flow down provisions contractually, as well as privacy and security, et cetera. And so those are sort of the key elements. Of course, there are things, you know, more infrastructure-like, you know, there'll be a directory of endpoints, we'll have certificates, there'll be a testing and onboarding process. But really the heart of TEFCA and what TEFCA focuses on is having expectations, consistent expectations between these designated networks, representing, acknowledging that they represent in and of themselves a diverse range of different types of participants, which could be healthcare organizations, health plans, public health agencies, individuals who are using a platform to access the records. And so, you know, really TEFCA is about that QHIN to QHIN exchange and giving a lot of, you know, latitude really in terms of how networks and QHINs connect to their own communities. So we've got this concept of the QHIN and where you're in the process right now of working to identify or and, and to recruit the QHINs who may go for this legally contracted, legally designated um, network under TEFCA. What are your expectations in terms of timing, in terms of number of different networks who might become QHINs and that kind of thing? So we um, published a draft onboarding and designation operating procedure and application. It's not final yet, so we're not accepting applications at the moment. We're enlisting stakeholder feedback on that because so much of what we're doing, you know, uh, we feel that for it to be embraced that stakeholders really need to have a voice in the process. They need to help us think through the practical realities of it. And we also want to get buy-in. So we're expecting we'll begin accepting applications in early fall of this year. We don't have a sense anecdotally of how many we might get, but we don't really know because until that application is finalized, we don't know how many will actually apply. We're expecting that there will be solid interest, but the question is when. You know, Some groups may rush to submit an application. Others may want to take time and do additional due diligence, or maybe they have to do some work. Maybe there's some additional governance expectations, or maybe they have to get approval for their network to support purposes beyond treatment because some networks today were only chartered and authorized to facilitate exchange for treatment purposes and they have to go through their own subsequent governance process to expand that. So um, we're again, we're very incremental. We expect there'll be probably a handful um, that will apply initially, facilitate the process. Of course, folks will, you know, 
um, come forward on an ongoing basis. And there may be some that, you know, are interested in maybe primarily a public health use case, which is we have, you know, to develop more specificity around what the sub-use case and specifications for that would look like. And so it's, um, again, you know, we'll continue to expand over time. All right. So you get the QHINs all through an application process and you select some QHINs and you get a number, hopefully that's representative enough, right? Up and running on Tefka. What does this mean? What does this mean for the health system out there? What does this mean for the health plan? What does this mean for public health? What does this mean for everyone? Well, what it means is that we're open for business and there now there is an opportunity for them to participate and hopefully have an easier way of participating in the health information exchange ecosystem. So the idea is that you, for instance, select a home network that is your entry point into TEFCA and that you should have the ability to access and share information with others outside of that network more readily for treatment, payment, healthcare operations. Today, you know, we really don't have a lot of information being exchanged for payment or healthcare operations in terms of clinical information between providers and payers and between payers. And so that, again, is a wholesale new opportunity to bring players to the table that have not been participating actively yet. And it also, again, lays the foundation to support the ability to make it much easier for us to access and share information for public health purposes. So one of the things we need to do, so we have sort of the basic building blocks in place to support this, but we know we have to do additional work to spell out, well, specifically, what types of payment and healthcare operation purposes can we support a risk adjustment, quality measures, care coordination for public health? Is that case reporting, other types of public health purposes? And so what we need to do is unpack that, get more specific. You know, we talked about earlier how important it is to be concrete and specific and so it's kind of hard to really wholesale solve all payment and healthcare operations and public health needs, but we have to start incrementally one by one. And so that's where we are now for those. Um, but I think what it should signal is that this is a, you know, a tremendous opportunity to participate and to opt into either through your network or through a QHIN, how you want to engage in TEFCA. Let's just go back around challenges. So we've talked already about the challenge of just convening and aligning stakeholder interests. And that is something we know something about too at at SureScripts. We spend a lot of time convening cross markets because each market thinks they understand. And it's when you put them together and they listen to each other from the different perspectives that you get a much more robust understanding of what's really going on and needs to happen. And you're doing that for all of these different use cases across public and private. So that obviously is a challenge and a core competency that you bring. What are the other challenges that you're facing right now? I wouldn't say it's a challenge. I would say it's been an adjustment to work with a purely private sector with public stakeholder participation in our work, which is really the core of how Sequoia has operated. We were given a tremendous and a unique opportunity to begin operating on the inside of a governmental process. And so for us, it was a matter of learning, well, how do we you know, work with an incredible team of policymakers and sort of help make sure we're reinforcing public policy direction, but also remaining really practically grounded. I wouldn't call it a challenge. I would say it's something we adjusted to. And, and I'm really delighted to say, I mean, we have just a tremendous, tremendous opportunity in working with an incredible group of folks with the RCE and the ONC team and 
And I really think that for me, a challenge is an opportunity, is a tremendous opportunity to really move the needle in a really compelling way by having such, you know, a unique working relationship with our colleagues at ONC. That's what I love about you. You are always the optimist, always visionary, always turning challenge into opportunity. And that is what you need for this work, right? So, <laughs> um, so let's just look at interoperability in the United States. Okay. I was recently with a doctor who we were talking about the issues we were having with the electronic health record and finding information. And this doctor said, wouldn't it be great if someday all of the electronic health records just shared across the world and it was one. And I said, wow, that would be amazing. Can we just start in the United States? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right. So what's your dream for what it would look like someday? I wouldn't say it's a dream, but an aspiration is that we will tackle and address the challenge of of making the data valuable. I think we pretty much got it down of how do we get data moving more readily? Yes, we have to expand across the continuum and other purposes, but I, I really think that there is an opportunity and need to focus on the data and how the meaning of it and the value of it. And so I always said, or you know, years ago, maybe this is probably circa 2019 that we'll know that we're starting to make progress when the clinicians start screaming about the data. Yeah, they're not happy. To me, it's it's a challenge. But again, that was a reflection of information is being shared. That's the long haul. And if we can solve that, and I think it's solvable in the next five to 10 years, it's going to be incremental, then I think we will have really, really cracked that nut. Marianne, can you give us a sense of what you're seeing for innovation in the industry, whether it's with the Sequoia Project or elsewhere that gives you hope? You know, it's really interesting. So we have actually been having recent uh, conversations with groups that are maybe outside of the you know core of the community that Sequoia interacts with. And what we're seeing is that there is tremendous need and interest in different types of data access models. So, you know, so much of what we focus on in Sequoia is about the exchange of information, but there are also these really innovative um, data service providers that actually have developed these massive data stores and that they're providing the ability for others to access data from that source. So I I think that's super interesting. Research is another area, I think, of mounting interest. We talked to a group recently that is facilitating research around public health. And so there's just a tremendous need for data. And, you know, again, that universal of having quality, valuable, meaningful data is an enabler for all of these things, regardless if it's an information exchange model or access model, et cetera. So just really kind of interesting to see how data is so central to so much of what's going on in healthcare and the healthcare sector. Okay. So a doc says today, you know, uh, too much data, stop, stop, uh, too much data. I'm not right. What what are they going to say in five or 10 years? Five or 10 years, they're going to be able to have, it's going to be much easier for them to access or query and access the information, just the data elements that they specifically need. And that, you know, rather than having to sift to tomes of data, they sort of become accustomed. That's just, you just have to kind of deal with it. And it's interesting. I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's a nurse and she's a care coordinator. And she was telling me all about the problem, what she has to go through to call through tomes and tomes of data just to get to the notes. She said, I really just want the notes. I said, well, I hear you. You know, I mean, it's, but 
it's progress. And so I think having it much easier for that end user to be able to sort of sift through or have easier ways to sift through um, and get access to the, just the precise information they need without actually, you know, have to go through tomes of data would be huge progress. Well, what's on the horizon for you as a national health leader? What's on the horizon? Well, I think what's on the horizon is that, um, you know, at Sequoia, we always have a, a broad objective of trying to advance interoperability. And again, we're looking at, you know, what can we do to get to that sort of next level? I'm staying true to that mission and love to see us do something around oncology. I think we have so much more we need to do around public health. You know, we've also been spending some time actually talking to our neighbors to the north in Canada and you know, thinking about, well, how do we share lessons learned or their approaches that we've employed in the U.S. could be affordative and interest to them? You know, how does that enable cross-border exchange? And so, you know, we're definitely keeping our eyes open in terms of other opportunities to, you know, again, move the needle for our, our all of North America. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be great. Wow. And what keeps you up at night? If there is an issue that comes up that we can't solve, that would haunt me. But I, I really believe the collective will is there. The interests are aligned. We're not all having to go it alone. We're part of a broader community, like-minded, passionate. To me, that's just, again, so inspirational. I think if something were to keep me up at night, it would be if there was some divisiveness or somehow we were stuck that we had to somehow figure it out alone. And I don't feel that. I feel like, you know, we really, and it's not just about Sequoia, it's about all of our colleagues and partners, public, private, and and there's just such a shared interest and passion. I, I just really believe that we'll continue to see growing momentum because of it. Well, that, that speaks back to you are the eternal optimist and that is exactly <laughs> what you need to be in this kind of uh, in this kind of work. And I can see that you're also surrounded by those who are similarly um, visionary. So that's, that's great. Well, let's just end with one last question. What inspires you? What inspires me are people. What inspires me is the ability to hopefully have an impact that we can start to see in our day-to-day lives. It was inspiring. It was such a small nerdy moment, but you know, I went to the doctor the other day and it was a specialist and they were able to retrieve uh, my meds and my allergies. And I, and I knew where that came from because I had just gone to my PCP and I thought that's because of what we did. That's because of carry quality. You know, it was so to me to see the small moments and hopefully have that reflected with family members um, and hopefully be able to see that have a positive impact. I want to see that every day. I want to see it and I want to hear about it from friends and family. And that's that fuels me big time. Thank you, Marianne, for just sharing such a great insight into interoperability into the world of interoperability over the last 15 plus years uh, and into what we can expect to see in the coming years that's going to impact all of us. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to talk with you. I really enjoyed um, our discussion and it's always great chatting with you. Marianne, we covered a lot of ground today. Your experience is just so rich. Thank you for sharing such fantastic insights into the world of interoperability, the strides made over the last 15 years, and what we can expect to see in the future. 
you really made the case for the complementary nature of public-private partnership to advance data sharing. Our next step is to really make it valuable and easy to consume. I also heard a key theme, which has really been echoed by our previous guests. The key to success and to inspiration really is the people you work with, their like-mindedness, and their passion to make real-world impact in the lives of patients and caregivers. As you said, that's what fuels me big time, and I can definitely say the same. For those of you listening in, we hope you'll join us again. Upcoming episodes will focus on healthcare, IT, and Capitol Hill, equity and access, and what's next in the specialty space, a huge market that's ripe for innovation. Thank you for listening in today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review. There's a better way. Smart Talk on healthcare and technology. With your help, we'll continue to bring great conversations to the fore and to the wider listening public. Thank you.